Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my special guest host and friend, Brittany Quemby. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, we'll be discussing women's health IT. And be sure to follow the show on social media at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at BritLQ. Plus, check out our 17 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. I'm so excited to have you here, Brittany. First time, longtime member of Healthcare IT Today. And appropriate that we have a woman on to talk about women's health IT, right? <laughs> yeah, longtime listener, first time on. <laughs> and you know me, I love this stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> that's true well i mean I, i'm excited to have you here uh you know because i think it is good to have a women's perspective when we're talking about women's health it colin and i could do certain things but uh, certainly don't have your perspective so talk to us like how can technologies like telemedicine digital health apps empower women to manage their own health and well-being and and maybe let's talk about some of the challenges or disparities that we should be mindful of when implementing these. For sure. And I, you know, from, from my own experience as a busy mom, I just had a baby a year ago, which is wild to think, but, you know, I think digital app services and telemedicine services can really empower women by providing extremely convenient and easy access to things like healthcare resources or information or just access to someone to talk to. You know, like typically as a woman, our health comes last in the household. It's mm. typically the kids or your partner or your husband. They typically come first and then we come last and we get put on the back burner. So, you know, when we have the time to take care of ourselves, you know, as it goes down the list, we need things that are, you know, easy and efficiently um, available to be able to monitor our own health. So things to get uh, access to medical advice or manage our conditions just from the comfort of our, of our own home or when we're on the go, you know, taking kids to school. So I think that's one of the most important things, just easy access and accessible. Um, I think so in terms of challenges, I think two of the big, really big things that need to be addressed is, you know, ensuring equitable access. Um, especially of those who are in communities who might not necessarily have, you know, a cell phone or um, technology to be able to access that care um, or even transportation, right? We all, it has to need, it needs to be inclusive of kind of everyone in those diverse um, communities. So I think it's crucial to design those apps and, and these types of technologies with that um, in mind to benefit all women. I think it's interesting you talk about that because, when I looked at this and I thought about, okay, has technology and this tech solutions been a next positive or negative for, for women, you know, like to me, it was overwhelmingly positive. Now mm -hmm. th there's some of them that aren't tailored to the needs of women. And I, you know, I think we're going to get to that in that discussion, as far as the mm -hmm. unique needs of women that, that I think that's a fair criticism of technology. But when I look at something like telemedicine, like, 
women overwhelmingly love it, right? Like, you know, and, you know, I, I know enough because I care for my kids and I hate taking them to the pediatrician. And, you know, especially when you got a couple like you do as well, right? Like you got to bring the other one with you where it's like at home, telemedicine, way better. They can sit there and play with their toys. They can be themselves. They can watch the TV. <laughs> they can do whatever, right? While you're, you know, having a telehealth visit with the other child. And that is just so much easier than this whole rigmarole of going into the office, especially when you get in there and then the, the doctor doesn't even touch your kid or <laughs> doesn't even do anything. They just need to inform you of an update or something. It's, it's That's really frustrating. And I think that's true of many digital health apps as well, is that they're overwhelmingly a positive change for uh, you know, the needs of many women, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and so I, you know, overall I look at it and I'm like, yeah, this is a powerful thing, you know, and, and you're right. There are, you know, socioeconomic things that are challenging, although it's mm -hmm. surprising how many homeless people have cell phones, right? Like it's true. shocking true. <laughs> the difference that yeah. that's even making. Yeah. And I even think, you know, going above and beyond that, as you mentioned, you kind of just triggered something in my head is, a telemedicine visit, you know, is basically equal to going in there. They're not doing much different other than, you know, being, um, there's no really physical touch either when you're going into an office. Um, but I was saying to my husband the other day, even just prescribing over telemedicine, because, you know, sometimes they won't do specific prescribing over, sure. over telemedicine, but what's the difference of if it's the same thing going in versus, you know, um, virtual. So I think that's kind of the next step that, you know, they won't prescribe an antibiotic, you know, unless it's, you're going in for a specific, you know, condition. So, you know, what's that next step where um, it makes it even that much easier? Yeah. Yeah. And my fiance had that where she needed a follow-up visit and thankfully the doctor understood the needs and he's like, this is going to be a quick visit. We can do it mm -hmm. telehealth. Right. And mm -hmm. sure. I was trying to join in to see if I could join remotely, which right. was separate discussion right yeah. like it, it it didn't quite do it but she she texted me before I could join and she's like yeah we're already done and I'm like all right well I missed it but you know <laughs> but it was so convenient for her mm -hmm. and for the doctor you know to just hop on do the quick visit you know it just saves so much time mm -hmm. but I, I think the challenge though it, it comes to like many of the digital health solutions don't keep women in mind Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so let's talk about that. And how can help these health IT solutions be tailored to address specific women's health needs? I mean, th there's the big three, if you will, right? Pregnancy, mm -hmm. which is very specific to women, postpartum as mm -hmm. well. And, and menopause, although I, I think there's some postpartum type stuff for men too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then <laughs> menopause, of course, which is a, a very female thing. You know, what role can 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 we play in optimizing these women's health experiences? Because to be fair, they haven't today, right? Like when we look at the investment, you know, go go look at the investment. It hasn't been on these women's health solutions. Right. It, you know, go look at the research and the studies. A lot of women weren't even included. In fact, they often didn't include pregnant women because of risks and other things. Totally. And you you hit on like some awesome points. So thank you for doing that. But you know, I think first and foremost, the funding has to be there. So I read a stat recently that said that research and development for women's health obviously is super underfunded. Um, and while we make up almost half of the world's population, maybe even more now, only 1% of research spending goes towards female specific 
conditions that aren't like related to cancer, which, you know, makes up a large portion of, of our life other than, you know, you know, other, other uh, specific diseases like cancer, but, you know, historically they haven't been, you know, doing research on women's bodies. A lot of it was just testing on male, male bodies and, and those trials. And um, I think recently, um, or not recently, but historically, the female participants in clinical studies only started in like the 80s or something, um, and then was only mandated in 1993 to start including women in this in these studies to then get funding for um, specific solutions. So, you know, I think I think that's kind of where we need to start. Is that is funding um needs to be critical for these for women's issues and women's health um and having women at the table when it comes to funding research and leadership you know can really improve patient care um for women um you know especially when it comes to technologies that are being built even just ai algorithms and machine learning just having women within those processes can then help the um help the outcomes and kind of what we're developing yeah i mean that's that's interesting but I'll play a little devil's advocate. Hopefully I won't anger yeah. too many people, you know, but the interesting question is I wonder what the stat is for male specific studies and mm-hmm. and, and your argument's interesting as well that, well, not the 99% is all male. <laughs> and yeah. and so, yeah. someone could make that case. As I said, I, I think women have been underrepresented in many of the studies that have been done, uh, you know, but, but many of the studies out there aren't gender specific and and they they apply to women and men equally uh you know and so i i wonder how many what percentage are male specific studies because that would tell us something even more right like were there a bunch of studies about male specific uh challenges you know and was there a lot of investment in that because the investment dollars come from men you know i, I you know like i said you know sure we need to improve there's two problems one is women weren't represented in, in the other 99%, right? And, yeah. and that's a problem that needs to be addressed. But maybe more importantly to me is those 99% of studies weren't going after the things that impact women and women's health in a massive way, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually discovered this when, I, you know, I don't even know if you know this story, Brittany, we, I don't know if I've told you, but I almost started a women's period tracking app. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was probably a decade, maybe more, 12, 14 years ago. I was you know, working with this lady and we, and she enlightened me on the fact that we know very little about women's health Nothing. and we just kind of chalk it up to, oh, well, she's in pain. Well, it's her period. Of course she should right. be in pain. And right. she's like, no, that's not right. And that's not true. And that's not fair. Like, sure, mm-hmm. there is some uncomfortable parts of, of of having, you know, a period, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are solutions or there should be. If we researched them, we might be able to improve what the that looks like for a lot of yeah. women. And so we almost started it. It, it ended up we couldn't quite come to terms, uh, you know, as far as what we would do and what she would do and what her vision was and what our vision was. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I realized, oh, yeah, it's true. We don't address that. We just are like, well, you know, it's part of the cycle. It's part of the yeah. process. And he's like, no, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think some of, you know, I think obviously we're not where we need to be, but I think some technologies and some apps are really 
you know, pushing the boundaries of having women, you know, to help to develop them, to give their unique experiences and their foresight into what needs to be looked at. Like, you know, it's not maybe just part of that cycle and challenging, you know, I saw recently they're challenging that 28 day cycle because women these days, maybe back in the day, they had 28 day cycles, but these days that's not a normal cycle and things that are happening within it are, are now different, you know, 30 years later, um, or, you know, however, however long we are since they had first um, existed. But, um, you know, I think it's important to have that someone at the table who can, you know, really represent how, how we're feeling or what we're feeling as we kind of um, develop these technologies to really give that, that um, personalized experience. Well, and that's kind of my whole point. Like, do we even know what normal is? Like we, we haven't invested the dollars to even understand the problem, exactly. you know, to, to be able to say what is normal. And because I think you're right, like I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world. There's mm-hmm. different, you know, health behaviors. There's different d- genetic makeup. Like there's so many. And yet mm-hmm. we have almost no insight other than, like, like you said, oh, yeah, every 28 days is about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not science right like that's not how you approach a problem right well and even I even like this isn't technology wise but just I mean kind of is I guess but I read the other day that the man who invented the tampon had basically invented it based on the hypothesis um, not the hypothesis but basically tested it with water instead of blood which doesn't have the same consistency and we're still using it today so it's like why not 30 years later, are we not investing in maybe doing some additional trials on what it actually should be and, and, you know, developing something maybe a little bit better, but. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question and and there is a lot of, you know, you actually saw it at CES. They, they actually had uh, some uh, period tracking things mm-hmm. um, that would follow that. And also uh, they also had it for, um, for birth, right? Uh, you yeah. know, as far as you know, are you pregnant or not, and 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 tying that to a digital health app, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, Wyvings had had a uh, interesting tracker that would actually measure your urine when mm-hmm. you'd go to the restroom. You would uh, essentially urinate on their device, and it would capture it and do essentially a lab test in your toilet, which is crazy to oh. think about. You can check it out at Healthcare IT Today. Search for Wyvings, and and you, you see that you know it's actually doing the measurement. And one of the first use cases was women's health, which was pretty awesome, mm-hmm. you know, to measure, I, I think it was pH levels or something like that. Uh, I have to look at the thing, but, and so, you know, like there has been a little progress, right. And enabling like the understanding of it. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I think we all know that we need a lot more testing and investment mm-hmm. in those areas. Yeah. So we'll get there hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and special guest host, Brittany Quemby. Today, we're talking about women's health IT. So tell me, Brittany, uh, how can data analytics and IT tools kind of help identify and mitigate the disparities in women's health and ultimately, you know, promote more equitable access to quality care? For sure. And, you know, you're the data guy, so I'm sure you have, you know, more answers than I do. But, you know, I think we t- we touched on it a little bit is just really analyzing larger you know data sets and really pinpointing the differences in um health and health uh outcomes amongst different demographic groups so you know i think first recognizing that there are differences and you know we really need to 
build tools and take into consideration these different measures um, to make uh, you know, equitable access to care for different populations. So I think, I, and I, I remember reading a stat just about uh, COVID and it's, it'll, it'll be out of my brain right now, but just not considering those bigger data sets in, you know, as we're kind of looking further down the line is really doing a disservice to kind of everyone. So really kind of looking at that, that data and um, encompassing it into um, into the journey, I think, is important. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, we, we hear all about, you know, like you even said, you know, women are 50% or more, likely mm -hmm. more because they live longer. <laughs> but, you know, like that they're more. So you would think that just by sheer statistical numbers, women should be represented in the data that's out there and, and the analytics tools that are there. But it turns out it's not because of the way the structure of the system collects data. Now, I think that's going to get better, especially as we use more real world data, because, you know, the, the, the people showing up to the hospital are a mix of, of gender. It's not gender discriminatory, although it's interesting. I'm, I'm still chewing on your comment that many women avoid care uh, because they worry about everyone else first. Uh, so maybe there's some of that, although it reminds me of the uh, farmer story, right? That the farmers in the, the ER and the ER docs freaking out. What's the farmer doing here? They said, mm -hmm. well, his, his wife told him he, he had to go because he wouldn't go on his own, right? Like, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, so I, I, you know, maybe avoiding care is somewhat gender neutral, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, who wants to go to healthcare? I, I know I don't, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, you, you know, I think maybe the real world data will help to improve that. And, and I'm hopeful that that will, I'm also reminded of uh, Visual DX who taught me, you know, Visual DX does this um, tool that analyzes your skin for various uh, diseases and other mm. you know, diagnoses. And mm. what they realized is they didn't have a lot of people of color in right. their data set. And so they had to make a concerted effort to include that so that they made sure that their algorithms and their AI anal analyzing of these images was mm -hmm. actually effective and didn't cause health disparities and didn't, you know, because it presented differently in a person of color versus, you know, a, a white male, right? And so, you know, to me, that's the core element that they taught me was mm -hmm. you have to make a, a purposeful effort to include diverse set of data, in this case, women, as we talk about, to make sure that they're part of the clinical trial, that they're part of the data set, and, you know, so that we're evaluating it. Agree, and I, 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 you know, you say the um, the company there. There was another company, and again, I won't be able to remember the name, but um, just in terms of doing skin um, analysis, that it just wouldn't penetrate certain skin. So you know, women's skin is different, men's skin, people mm. cover have different skin. So that that wasn't taken into consideration during the clinical trials, and so it just wasn't you know either working properly or it was working differently, and they were getting you know. Um, you know, um, not consistent types of data. So yeah, really developing tools and solutions that can, um, that can work on, that can work on everybody. Yeah. So this isn't a women's health uh, solution, but it is a interesting technology solution mm -hmm. that addresses a unique situation for women, although it could potentially apply to some men. When I was working in a data center, we had a a, a palm reader, right? And mm. you'd put your palm up and that's how you'd access the data center as part of their security efforts, right? 
Well, what they taught us is that it, you know, it turns out it learns your hand over time and because your hand evolves. And they said, for example, when a woman's pregnant, she often gets more bloated. And so her hand becomes bigger and stretches in different ways. And so, but luckily the technology took that into account that, Hey, you know, that when you're pregnant, it's going to learn that your hand's bloating. And then of course, after you have the baby, then it's going to go smaller. And the technology takes that into account and understands some variation that's associated with your hand and and that biometric handprint, which is, you know, it's like, I would have never thought about such a thing. Right. Um, But it was cool that they'd taken that into account that, Hey, the biometrics, you know, changes over time. And so we need to constantly update this in order to do it. So I I thought it was a great example of, uh, (laughs) you know, taking into account some of the unique, you know, challenges that women face. For sure. You know, and it was, we kind of talk about, you know, these health IT companies and the things that they're doing. (laughs) You know, my, the last kind of question that I have is, you know, how can these companies work with healthcare providers to collaborate, you know, to develop solutions for women's health or health in general to improve the overall quality for women's healthcare. Um, and that also address those unique health challenges that women face. Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I often think about all the statistics everyone always shares about uh, that, you know, women are the main decision makers in healthcare. It, it always rubs me slightly wrong since I, I feel like I'm involved in my kids as well, you know, it's a, but, but I get it right. It is true that, you know, and even in my case, my kid's mom often does take them to the, to the clinics and stuff. Uh, you know, so I think that's maybe the first step is realizing that they're an inco- incredible, important part of the decision-making process. So it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, you know, shout out to Jen Horn, Jeff and Savvy Co-op and the, their hashtag Ask Patients, right? Uh, you know, it's almost like we need a, a hashtag Ask Women, right? Mm. Like, and, and kind of understand what they need, and we need to listen to women and and understand how how they have a different experience than than maybe you know the male developer that's writing that digital health app or or whoever it might be. So yeah, I, I guess that's the first place I would start is let's ask women, let's incorporate them into our boards, let's incorporate them into our into our committees that are evaluating technology, because I think you'll get a different perspective, just like when you in, incorporate patients, you get a different perspective. I agree, totally. And you know, there are a ton of, I think, women communities that we can kind of glean that, um, those experiences and those challenges and that kind of dialogue from, even just from some of the the health apps that I've used, you know, during, during my health journey, um, the discussion boards, I think, are where are where most of that experience and those, um, um, you know, that information can come from because people are just, you know, dialoguing with one another, having conversations. Um, so I agree, having women be a part of that conversation, but also listening to um, the conversations that women are having um, just in general, I think will be very important to to be able to kind of help you know, scale those, um, those technologies to help, you know, uh, healthcare for women overall. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think about the discussions of uh, venture capitalists, right. Which drive a lot of the funding for the innovation, the research, mm-hmm. the development, 
of these solutions. And we're seeing a bit of a shift, right? I mean, we're seeing a lot of women VCs in, in healthcare that are, that are driving some of that change. Uh, it's certainly not enough. When you look at the numbers, it's still far below what it should be. Uh, but, you know, we see some people that are, are doing admirable work. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I think of Christina Farr and, you know, a whole group of people like that, that are, are doing, making a concerted effort to, fund the women and fund the the entrepreneurs that are building these solutions for them. But, you know, like there's a common thing that goes up, right? But the venture capitalist mentality is I need a big addressable market, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, then, you know, and, and it makes sense when you come and you say, hey, I want to create an app just for dermatologists. They're like, oof, that's mm-hmm. a small market, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the problem is many VCs say, you want to create an app for women. Oof, you just cut my market in half. You're like, mm-hmm. but no, like the market is still like half, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, why not? Mm-hmm. That's a huge addressable market, right? So it, it's not fair to say that, you know, you know, un- unlike, you know, pediatric dermatology, right? Okay, that would be a small right. market and a venture capitalist would have some questions about, is that a huge market opportunity, you know, with, a, mm-hmm. you know, the total addressable market being large, right? Whereas when you say a woman's health you know, application, that's mm-hmm. 50% of women, that could be a very large market, you know? So I, I think that's a mindset that needs to change as well to be able to overcome some of these generic healthcare issues. Because if you're doing a, some sort of, you know, menopause application, that's not a small market. You know, every woman is going to face that at some point. Right. And so, you know, understanding that and understanding that that is a big market and and you could create a, a large application that's successful, you know, is probably a mindset that could shift and then would be able to address things like menopause. For sure. And, you know, women are looking for it too, you know, as women, um, you know, I don't want to say for all women, but we are community driven. We are looking to connect with other people. We are looking for those connections. We're looking for answers. We're trying to problem solve. So, you know, when we get into a community or um, a technology where we can kind of share those experiences and understand those experiences and get knowledge and and um, experience from other people, we, I feel we, um, we thrive on that. So, um, like I said, yeah, maybe it's half of the population, but it's also half of the population who is down and willing to, you know, be a an active participant. It's funny you say that because I was really angry that I wasn't able to do the period tracking app and we needed the woman and she wanted to incorporate labs. I mean, it was really a cool vision. Mm-hmm. I think we could have executed. And the reason I was so excited was exactly what you said all these women talk to each other, right? You go to all these mommy bloggers and have them write about it. Like you could spread the word about this. If mm-hmm. you're actually making a difference in, in people's lives, like this is an easy thing to, to market and spread. So, you know, I still regret that we didn't do it, but. There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> There's some out there that have really, you know, I don't know yeah. how well they've done, but you're right. There is still opportunity because <laughs> It, the problem itself hasn't been addressed fully. Uh, yes. You know, they've done some side things, but they haven't really understood the problem. So, well, unfortunately, that we're all out of time. But uh, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Find more details about the show. It's by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on social media using the hashtag HITSM. I'm John Lynn with my friend and guest co-host, Brittany Quemby. Thanks for listening and have a great week.